producers, studios, production companies, no matter, they probably don't beat their children. They wouldn't think of running over a dog. They treat writers like chattel. And we are absolutely dispensable once they have gotten what they want out of us, which is a script. Until they get the script, man, they just are the most sycophantic brown nosers you've ever seen. Once they get that those pages in their hands, you could be hit by a Peterbilt and they wouldn't give a fuck. So, and then they feel it's theirs. They can do whatever they want. And here comes a director a year later and says, well, I see it this way and I see this and I see that. Fuck you. You want to get your vision? You write the goddamn script. Where were you when the page was blank? You see those fools at the back of the class They don't care about grades or if they fail or pass They ain't here to learn, they're just here for laughs The day you're home will just tear it in half If you want blood, you got it You trap a keeper, I'll on it Give me a crap, I'll blot it This ain't detention, baby, this is the You're listening to The Audit with Josh Olson and Dave Anthony. The only one thing I would say yep. is that he shouldn't say you write it. Like, I don't think he should ever say that to the <laughs> I agree with everything else <laughs> he said. You don't, even, you don't even give him that option <laughs> at all. I, I would love to take that up with him, uh, but uh, sadly, sadly, we'll not be able to. Um. That was uh, my dear friend and yours, uh, the great Harlan Ellison, um, on the subject of writers. And uh, uh, thought we'd thought we'd open with that this week because we've got some interesting stuff going on in the writers world. I think I think you agree, don't you, Dave? Pertains to mm-hmm. the world at large. Um, yeah, it does. WGA, the union that uh, we're we're members of, uh, has gone on strike. Uh, Wooga. Wooga. We are Wooga West. Uh, there are people on Wooga East. Wooga East has already scored some blood. They managed to shut down uh, American Horror Story yesterday, I'm told, which will be last week when you hear this. But uh, the stakes are high. They are really, really high. The The evolution, I can't believe I'm talking about the people who ran things back when we were out on strike in 2007, but there was at least an element of, I don't know, blood to these people. There was, there was a little, even if they didn't want to admit it, a little interest in uh, creating every now and then a little bit of good content, as they called it. Um, I think there's uh, this, this guy, Zaslav, over at uh, Warner Brothers kind of personifies the new mentality that we're up against. The, the two things I keep thinking of, we've joked about this, but um, this is someone who thinks uh, changing HBO to Max is somehow... And, and, and does it for entirely purely financial reasons that make sense, I suppose, to him and some accountant. Um, it, it just kind of symbolizes something. The fact that they killed a $100 million Batgirl movie 
which was by all accounts, I don't care what you've heard, but everyone I know who's seen it or known people who've seen it, it, it ranges from fine to pretty good. Uh, it, it was literally some some accountant realized that if you just move a few numbers around, you can take a bigger write down off of it than you spent. And that's it. There you go. It's gone. And they are paying writers horribly. Um, you know, you notice all these shows now are like six episodes or eight episodes instead of the old 22 back in the day or even 10, 13. But writers are getting paid the same or less. And they're committed to these shows for the same period of time. And you have this phenomenon the last few years of people who are writing on fairly successful TV shows who can like barely afford a one bedroom apartment, if that. Um, and then there's AI, uh, which is still in its kind of nascent stages, but there's absolutely no doubt in anyone's mind what these people want to do is start using AI to write stuff. Now, I don't think anyone's so stupid as to think you can write a feature length film script or even a TV show, even, even a formulaic CSI or law and order thing strictly with AI, but what you can do, and I think what they're aiming to do, uh, we haven't talked about this day, but I, I think that the plan is uh, write first drafts with AI and then you hire us to come in and do a polish. And yeah. that's, that's less money. And you bring us in to uh, add the little dollops, if you will, that make it sound like a human being. Hey, hey, if you want to bring me in to polish up an AI script, I will do the worst job you've ever seen. I was, I had an interesting conversation with a friend last night. There's a thing in music. I'm going to botch this completely, but there's a thing in music um, that's, that's measurable where when you have musicians playing together, uh, there's always going to be one person or more who's just like one, one thousandth of a second off on the beat. And the other musicians or other musician trying to connect to that, trying to make up for it and so forth. And it's, it's, in, it's mostly unconscious is actually where you get this kind of excitement from. It's an amazing, it brings an amazing quality to music. Um, it tells you it's live. And again, you're not noticing it. I'm, I don't think, oh Christ, you listen to it. You listen to the most fucking thuddingly dopey music. And like, neither of us are competent enough to discuss this, but it is in that imperfection that the excitement of music comes out. And they've tried in, especially in pop music to try to replicate this via algorithms. And apparently it has the exact opposite impact. It makes the music painful to listen to. Um, and that sure. Yeah. And that, that seems to me to be sort of at the core of the whole thing. Everything I've read by AI just lacks something. It's lifeless. I mean, so you don't like, you're not a sports fan, but, um, baseball has been, uh, sort of destroyed by statistics and computers. And the whole game is now run by computers, uh, the, the managers aren't making decisions. They're told what to do by the front office who looked at their stats and do these things. And, and there's no humanity to the sport anymore. It's been, and now they're talking about getting rid of the umpires and just having robots call balls and strikes and everything they do. They're using computers to dehumanize the sport. Mm. Now on the other end, they're trying to make it more exciting by having guys flip bats more and wear crazy hats. Like they're trying to overcome, <laughs> right. they're trying to overcome the 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 failure of what they've created. Right. Do something wild and unpredictable. And there's there's a ton of people who are 
who are like me, who are like, yeah, I can't watch anymore. It's just like, like they've ruined the sport. It's boring. It's a boring sport now Mm -hmm. because computers came in and told everybody how to do everything. And now there's no, like, you know exactly where a guy's going to hit a ball because that's where he always hits the ball. So the guy goes and stands there and catches it. Like, it's just boring as fuck. Right. And, and the one thing I would say is uh, dumber people are attracted to the sport now when previously I think smarter people were attracted to the sport. I think it's just a dumbing down of everything and they can't figure out what's wrong and what's happening. And it's very obvious what's going on. And so I think with this, it's the same thing. I think they will try and they will fail and they will fail for a long time until they figure out, Oh, this doesn't work. Or you have an independent studio that just goes, by the way, our scripts are written by writers and they will make gobs of money because you will have failures and you have successes, but you will have movies that pop out that are like a Kaufman film. And you're going to be like, well, fuck that. The computer couldn't have written that. Right. Uh, so. Yeah. Imagine. Cause that's the it, thing. You know, we all know what they based on do. pumping a bunch of pre-existing material, you know, previous stuff, bunch of scripts into a, into a thing and uh, letting it sort of analyze the commonalities. And you can do that to a certain extent on, um, uh, you know, again, law and order, not to not law and order. It's a procedural. It follows a pattern, but imagine pumping like five Charlie Coffin scripts into a thing and expecting it to, <laughs> right. Up with it's Charlie Coffin, like Charlie Coffin. You know, I, it's not going to do I mean, that. And I guess, you know, and we've been like, I've written on shows and, and I've had, I, there are writers that are like AI, like they're just terrible fucking writers and they're showrunners that are like that. And they go through and they chop everything up and they make it bad. Um, so we already have that. So I don't think we need more of it. <laughs> like, like you need more good writers. You need people that are going to bring something interesting to a script and like what they like, you know, I know exactly what they want. So when I wrote on deadly class, I wrote a script and at one point, the sh- the not the showrunner, the um, the other EP who was there, who was trying to destroy the show and take it over, took my script and he goes, "We got to cut this down." And he just started slashing it, like literally in ten minutes. Cut this, cut this, cut this. And I had a scene that was like straight out of the, the outline. But at the end, I just had one character look at another character and go, "Have you ever seen a live human eaten by a pig?" And the other guy goes, "Of course I have." <laughs> and he cut that and he cut that out and i went he cut that out and i went that's like that's like the thing you don't cut but that's the kind of shit that's not gonna right. that's the kind of shit that's not gonna be there anymore it's yeah, gonna be man. a to b a to c a to d and then that little weird thing that makes it the writer's own mm-hmm. well that that will be gone yeah yeah. And you'll have you'll have very generic, like even in a Law and Order episode, someone's going to throw in a weird line like that. Someone's yeah. going to have the character. Yeah, no, exactly, say exactly. They will. That's yeah. Uh, yep. And and that'll be gone because number one, they'll have AI doing it. But number two, good writers aren't going to do this. Good writers are not going to stick around for this bullshit system. And go in and polish up your bullshit scripts. They're going to fucking leave. And it's happening all over show business. Go watch commercials now. People don't really watch commercials. But I used to be a commercial actor. Commercials, some commercials were fucking better than TV shows. Funny as shit, really good commercials. Those are kind of gone. The union was destroyed. 
and they they got and now all all they basically de deunionized commercials. There's very far very few union commercials, and commercials now suck. They're, the acting is terrible. Right. The directing is terrible. They're boring and they're stupid because these guys have come in with all their fucking money and destroyed the system that made those little things creative. They're gone. Yeah. yeah. But that, that is what's happening. And this one really is existential because I think um, – and what's interesting is people – I've been through this. You've been through this. Uh, this strike already, even a couple of days into it, is nothing like the last one. And people are getting that. There was a, a meeting um, last night or last week, as you're listening to this, of, of the WJ. It was the first, the first big meeting since the strike was called. And at that meeting were uh, major representatives from every other union in the industry, SAG and DGA and the Teamsters and AI and IA. Uh, no AI was there as far as we know. And um, – We've never seen that before. They were there in solidarity with the Writers Guild. And usually in the past, what they try to do is set the unions against each other. The writers are putting us all out of work. And everyone gets it now. And we've been living, and that's not just because of what's going on in the industry. It's what's going on in the country. And people, I think, you know, union membership has uh, been expanding rapidly in the last few years. People are really starting to get that this is like the last place where we have a chance at having a voice at uh, pushing back on you know, is it late stage or end stage capitalism? Um, and it's heartening, but uh, I think it's really, really important that people understand because um, it's already started and you're going to see more of this. Uh, you know, they're like, oh, they're all so rich and they're this and they're that. Um, oh, yeah. No, they're not. And uh, no, they're not. The fact that you can point to a few people who are does not discount the fact that uh, Dave Anthony. That, uh, Aaron Sorkin doesn't represent all of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And um, uh, where is he, by the way? Is he pretty? Is he is he out in front of this? Is he talking a lot? Yeah, no. Interesting. Some of the usual people. Um, and Craig Mason. Uh, yeah, let's talk about this. Yeah, I have not. Uh, I think they got their asses handed to them. Well, there was also a labor action several years back where um, there was a sort of crew of kind of. Uh, uh, well-to-do showrunner types were trying to run a slate to take over the guild and shut down a, a labor agent in which we were, or labor action in which we were uh, renegotiating our contract with uh, our agents. And that whole process was wildly successful. But there was a bunch of people and felt like it, it, it may have been the last gasp of them. I don't know. But yes, Sorkin was a supporter of it. Craig Mason was originally running to be the head of it. Um, he has in the interim gotten a lot of love from liberals for the stuff he wrote about uh, Ted Cruz, who was his yes. college roommate. And I think Chern- he liked and that. Chernobyl. And, and then Chernobyl, Chernobyl, which people took as something other than the sort of screed against uh, communism, a little dated yes. that it was. And, and now he's got a hit show. <laughs> and I don't think he, he – I think he's um, uh, I think he's going to lay low on this one. I think he's going to stay quiet. Yeah. He, he very obviously realizes now what his audience is, and he knows if he goes yeah. against this, he'll upset his audience. So he's not yeah, going to do gonna his do u- usual anti-union bullshit. Yeah. And I think even Sorkin has recognized that um, uh, the public's perception of these things has shifted away from uh, – not that it was ever with him, but away from him. He's big, um, big, big uh, – not really an opponent, but he badmouthed the union a lot. Um over the years and has never been a big supporter of these actions. Um, my favorite, there was a thing a couple of days ago, a friend of mine actually, Zach Stentz wrote a piece in the New York times, just kind of, it was an op-ed explaining 
what the stakes are and what we were striking for. And one of the things he talked about was residuals, uh, which are, you know, basically when, as long as your show is running and people are seeing it, something you wrote, uh, you get, you get a tiny piece of any new money that comes in, um, on that. Uh, and he, um, it was great. It was great editorial. I recommend everyone uh, check it out. The New York Times in their wisdom, uh, the title they gave it. Did I tell you this, Dave? It was great. If Hollywood wants to survive, it needs to pay writers to do nothing. <laughs> I mean, look. That's, that's the New York Times. Big, big strong, union loving. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, here's, here's how it breaks down. A long time ago, the studios and all the talent sat down and said, how do we make this work? And how you make it work is you have a talent pool of unemployed people to choose from at all times. And the way you make that work is, well, how do we know they're talented? Well, they've worked on shows before, and now they get money for having been on that show while they're not on the show. It keeps them alive, surviving. So you can come back to that pool and choose your writers. If you don't have that money coming in after the show's over, the residuals, then that pool doesn't exist. And now you have no writers to choose from. It was them who helped set this up because back then they weren't total fucking idiots. And now these late stage capitalism assholes don't know shit and are fucking dumb and think how they handle toys or us is how they should handle every business in the country. Yeah. And people are getting that now, I think. But um, I mean, to me, at the end of the day, this is, you know, the same mentality that thinks it makes sense to change HBO to Max uh, is now trying to uh, turn every writer in Hollywood into a gig worker. So um, right. if, you're, if you're listening to this and you're in the union, um, we're, we're with you. Uh, you'll be you'll, you'll, you'll bump into us out in the line, maybe. And if you're not in the business, um, you know, just keep in mind, uh, no matter what you read in things like the New York Times and so forth, we are out there fighting the good fight. And it's not just uh, so you can keep getting your daily dose of, you know, whatever Star Wars show it is you're addicted to. Um, this stuff actually matters. It's important. I shouldn't and, say, I shouldn't and slide look, off Star Wars. <laughs> and aside from the other unions, we're alone. You know, the Democrats aren't going to do anything as Gavin Newsom came out and said, work it out. And yeah, they're, yeah we're they're there. Not if either side shit. wants to come to us when wants to sit down and talk, they'll be, blah, blah, blah. You know, these are their buddies. You know, Chelsea Clinton is married to a hedge fund guy. They're all, the whole, the whole crew is all, Loving the hedge fund people. So, yeah. you know, this is this is us against them. Yeah. Though God knew something was astonishing. He was like, nobody's come to me yet, but if they want to, and he'll let me come in and help. And they're both willing to talk and and, and negotiate. Uh, I'm supportive of that. It's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I hear Thanks. There, yeah. there's fine people on both sides, Dave. Uh, <laughs> this, this podcast is brought to you by The Lever, the award-winning reader-supported investigative news outlet. If you want to support our show. Uh, there's a few ways you can do it. First, become a paid supporter to The Lever. This is going to give you access to our bonus content as well as their premium podcast feed and all kinds of good stuff. Um, and if you want to make a one-time contribution that goes to me and Dave and the gremlins who work uh, with us, um, like Colin, who's responsible for infecting your brain with uh, uh, our, our horrifying PragerU theme song that you can't get out of your head. Um, and uh, Brian Ciano, our Research guy, free-floating agent of chaos. You can leave us a tip at levernews.com slash audit. And you'll see a button for the tip jar. Uh, you can also go directly to our Venmo page uh, at the audit at Venmo under businesses. 
Um, follow us on Twitter, right, Dave? You follow us on Twitter. Yeah. At the audit podcast. Email us at uh, the audit podcast at gmail.com. Um, and then we, we haven't done this in a pre-show, but it's just like, I just saw this thing and I don't know where to fit it into an episode. And I just, this feels like Dennis Prager through and through to his core. Um, I saw this thing. It was a little snippet. It was an interview and I watched some of it and, and there was a snippet and it just goes to like, I don't know if he believes what's coming out of his mouth at any given moment. I think he's been doing it long enough. It's possible. Uh, or if he just assumes that the people who are paying attention to him are as dumb as the character he plays. I, I had a friend once who uh, once uh, gave, gave a speech. Um, he, he was, he was an inspirational kind of speaker dude. And he maintained for many years that um, it was impossible. It was possible to be successful and to go out in the world and, and create a phony persona, but you couldn't do it for decade after decade because sooner or later it would just fall apart. You couldn't keep it consistent. And his example for this, Dave, have I ever told you this? Of a guy who clearly was exactly what he appears to be because he's been doing it for 50 years, five years of this. Okay. Anybody can do a 10 maybe, but there's literally no way to put on this persona and not have it be sincere for as many decades as Bill Cosby had done it. Um, that was his. <laughs> wow. And Bill Cosby <laughs> kept up that facade for a hell of a lot longer than Des Prager has. So I, I don't know. I don't know if Prager sees through his own shit or not. I still don't after all this time. I, I don't, I, I don't think he does. I think he's, I think this is who he is. I, I don't think he sees through any of that. Well, here, here he is on some, some, I don't know, he's on some, some right wing talk show on YouTube uh, a little while ago. Yeah. Last week uh, he, he got involved in an imbroglio that as far as I can tell, isn't that interesting? You know, he came out saying porn is okay. Mm. And uh, a lot of folks on the right got very upset. And this is in the middle of that conversation. <laughs> Imagine this fucking year being upset about that. Uh, yeah. 2023. Yeah. yeah. Jesus. There's a phrase in Hebrew that I learned very early in my yeshiva education. Uh, I'll say it in Hebrew for, so that people will know I didn't make it up. Yeah. It's not the thought that counts. That No, not that counts. That is the essence, but the deed. Right. Judaism is very behaviorist, and I am very behaviorist. And, and, and that, that is, uh, uh, it, it goes to the, to the essence of what my belief is. I want right. to know how you act. Uh, the, yeah. the the left does this all the time. Oh, you treat gays beautifully. Uh, like in my case, I am. I am. My wife and I are godparents to a gay couple's children. But the fact that I'm against a same sex marriage that makes me a hater. Mm -hmm. So how I treat gay gays is irrelevant. It's it's what I think. Uh, th this bothers me that your thoughts can be regarded as a demerit. It's not I his don't know. I don't know what like I, I'm, I'm. You listen to that and you go, not wanting to allow them to get married is how you treat them. You dumbass. Well, that's what the, are you it's, talking it's, about? But, but here's the thing: it's it's he's acting as though he has no life outside his interpersonal relationships. You know uh, what? Yeah. If you are a godfather to some gay kids in the back of your mind, you don't think gay people should get married. If you're not acting it out in some way, 
It's like, hey, okay, all right, I don't care what I really don't care what you think. I, I, but he's Dennis fucking Prager. He's actively opposed gay marriage forever. This is a guy yeah. who goes out and actively his actions are to to demonize gay people and to stop them from having. This is he's been doing it even after it became the law of the land. Check this out. This is him on CNN a few years ago. Honestly, on whatever side you're on, I can't think, frankly, of a more important issue, even including the economy, than the definition of marriage. I think we are more likely to survive economically than we are the redefinition of marriage. <laughs> what the fu- what the fuck is wrong? Like Jesus Christ. What the fuck is wrong with these the stupidity? I mean, think about what marriage used to be. It was basically property ownership. Like what in the fuck are you talking about? But but beyond that. I mean, his argument that's uh, the argument itself is moronic. But the fact that he thinks that people are judging him for what he thinks about gay marriage He's out there actively trying to stop it. He's trying right. to argue against basic human fucking rights for people. And then he thinks you're intolerant if you judge him for what he thinks about gay people. It's, like, <laughs> oh, man. it's for what you're doing against gay people. And <laughs> it is such a stupid argument. This clown that he's talking to is sitting there going, nodding, yeah, 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 what you think? It's like you should be able to think what you want to think. It's like he's not just I think thinking. we I think we really need to we really need to talk to these dumbass uh uh gay couple who have made him their godchildren. Uh, yeah, I if anybody <laughs> out there knows this gay couple that Dennis Prager's <laughs> claims to be godparents too, we we will provide a safe place. By the way, you want to come on and talk about how amazing he is? That's great too. But you know what I'm reminded of? Was it? I can't remember. Yeah, it was George Bush uh, Senior, um, who, when he was getting criticized for his terrible AIDS policy and his lack of action on the subject, you know, and uh, it was suggested in many quarters that uh, George Bush is homophobic. Uh, somebody pointed out, no, no, no. One of his best friends has a son who's dying of AIDS, and even while in the White House, he made a point of coming to visit him regularly. <laughs> Hey, look, uh, look, hey, Josh, I can't be racist. My maid is black. <laughs> but imagine it's thinking just, that like the president of the United States who's actively, who's indifference to like dying gay people, kills people. That could, it doesn't matter that he has a gay friend. Holy fucking shit. Oh, God. You know, if you live somewhere in, in, the, in the middle of the fucking desert, some tiny little deserted town, you know, five people. And, and one of them's gay and they're your best friend, but you are against gay marriage. You're fine. Nobody cares. You're not having any impact. The only impact you're having is on your one gay friend and you're good to him. This guy's been on TV, the radio for decades. He's actively campaigning to fucking hurt people. And he's complaining that he's being judged for what he thinks. And he's supposed to be this voice of reason, this guy who calmly reasons things out using facts and never raises his voice. It's like, oh, fucking hell. Ugh. Hate him, Dave. Hate him. Can't lie. Well, that's what he's made for. He's made to hate. He's something you're supposed to hate. And then he gets to be a victim. Like, that's the that's whole right. cycle. Like, that's, that's the... 
That's the, it's been since the beginning. It's, it's the conservative cycle of saying something horrendous. You get mad at them and go, you fucking idiot. And then they go, oh, see, uh, they're yeah. mean and they call me dumb. And you're like, well, it's because you're fucking dumb. Like, you're I, dumb, man. I could you're it genuinely an idiot. And you're a terrible, <laughs> terrible person because you say horrible things about people. You're <sighs> It's just, it's just like what's going on with the guy got killed in the subway. They're like, you're intolerant oh, of people who kill people Christ. on the subway. Like, I, yeah. what? Yeah, I am. Actually, I'm very intolerant of that. That I'm trying to think of. Uh, oh my god, what was what was the guy the 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 dude in New York, the vigilante in the seventies? Getz, Bernard Getz. Bernard Getz did a great job on him, by the way. Uh, that's right. You did. I remember this a long time ago. The um, It didn't go well for him, finally. Am I correct? Uh, no, he it it did. He like, now it go just well? hangs out with squirrels. It went fine. <laughs> I think he went to... Jesus. He, seriously, he's a squirrel guy. He, he's got okay. a whole squirrel collection. It's really... <laughs> uh, okay, well, I guess I'm right. Because, yeah, I keep thinking, like, this feels new and worse than usual. And then I remember him way back in the 70s. And it's like, okay, maybe not, but... Oh my god! I think yeah. he. I mean, I think he went to jail. I, I remember he was, you know, there were. Oh yeah, he got acquitted of a bunch of it. He served eight months. Mm-hmm. So there you go. So he killed, he shot four people and served eight months. It's the same thing. I mean, it's, you know, we're. It's not the same thing. What am I saying? We we we've, we've completely normalized uh, the killing of the most at risk people in our society for three years um and if you don't think that has anything to do with people's response to someone choking out and murdering a homeless guy on the subway you don't know what's happening uh once you start normalizing death mass death your country is in a very 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 precarious place yeah this is this is very bad shit and it's disturbing how do I say this without, because I, I, you know, they're capitalizing on just raw emotions. Um, you know what? I, I used to live, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia. I used to take public transportation everywhere. And uh, uh, you, you can have, you can have weird and sometimes disturbing and even occasionally scary encounters with uh, people who are in dire need of mental help. Um, it's not okay to kill them. It's not, yeah. but they take advantage of that kind of mentality and that, 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 what is it? You know, that thing that, that it's just insane. It's like, they're, they're all these people and I'm saying, and, and mostly on the right, but not all of them. Um, just, just going, Oh, what are you supposed to do when some guy's being crazy and violent in front of you? And I would argue so look, a lot of things you can do. Argument, not killing. If that's them. your argument, if that's your argument and you are going to walk around Texas mm-hmm. go into a target with an AR-15. I get to fucking shoot you now. Yeah, because you're I'm scared, scared the of you. Fuck of a, yes, exactly right. If that is your argument, we get to start killing you all the fucking time because I'm scared of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it, it, it. It is the same logic, and uh, uh, um, yeah, yeah, and very, very grim. Um, uh, watch this segue. It, it makes me want to live in a happier and simpler time, Dave. It makes me want to go back in time, perhaps, to a time when things were simpler and nicer and kinder, like the founding of this country. 
<laughs> um, where I can hang out with sort of scholarly men who are mostly fixated mm. on decency and how to create a world that was good and kind and just for all. I'm talking about the founding fathers. Uh, you're a fan I of them, right? Of them. Um, and we are this week, we are going to be discussing Prager U's handling of the founding fathers. They've done quite a lot of videos on them. Um, we've got our good friend, Jared Yates Sexton, uh, about to join us. He is author of the midnight kingdom, a history of power, paranoia, and the coming crisis. Uh, he's co-host of the muckrake podcast. You can follow him, uh, Twitter at J Y Sexton. Um, and I, I highly recommend it. He's, um, he's a wonderful and brilliant erudite fellow. And, uh, we kind of, um, had a terrifying time walking through Prager U's version of the Founding Fathers. So shall we get into it? Let's get into it. Hey there, it's David Sirota, host of Lever Time, the flagship podcast from the award-winning investigative news outlet, The Lever. In politics, there's a complex web of money, influence, and greed that corrupts our democracy. Lever Time is an unflinching examination of the latest news events and issues that often go unrecognized and unreported by corporate media. We interview a variety of guests and experts across media and politics, and we hold the powerful accountable. Some recent interviews include Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, comedian David Cross, progressive leader Nina Turner, and artificial intelligence expert Dr. Max Tegmark. So if you're looking for a true independent voice in political media, check out Levertime. Go to levertimepod.com or search Levertime on your podcast player to subscribe. If you finally had enough of hippie college left-wing fluff, get yourself a real degree from Prager University. I gotta tell you, I mean, I think these are hilariously bad, but I had never come across the kids shows before. Oh man, <laughs> we did a whole we did a whole kids episode from Betsy. Yeah, I told Josh those things they should be training videos for for spotting actual groomers that is some disturbing <laughs> shit like telling kids to put their hands in bowls and not to move them and making them smell things yep oh it's yeah, really fucking weird yeah God, it's, it's fucking it's, weird cuz i've seen i've seen their videos before but i'd never seen their kids show and that was wild yeah. I mean, they yeah, did a whole thing and I'm, I'm kind of going, I want to do some more stuff on the Frederick Douglass one. You know, this whole thing where they have like these kids go back in time. It's a cartoon. And they meet Frederick <laughs> Douglass, you know, and they talk to him and he's, it's basically all about how awful black lives matter is. And he's like, you got to work within oh. the system and you got to be peaceful. And you're like, didn't this guy beat one of his owners half to death and, <laughs> you know, oh. foment rebellion and, I feel like you guys are fine with the American revolution, but when anybody's a slave starts talking about you know, that Thomas Jefferson video, the Thomas Jefferson video is something. Plus, you know, let's just jump into it. Shall we? We're doing, uh, we're doing uh, founding fathers. Our first one, we're going to do what made George Washington great. Um, it has, they don't mention the cherry tree we even at all. Start. What? I can oh. answer that before we even you start. Yeah, please. Yeah. He, he was the, he was the richest guy. He's he was the number guy. one landowner and speculator. Period. Well, there you go. Yeah. He's the richest guy. Why don't you say that? 
Um, so Jared, or either of you guys, were you familiar with John Rodamel? Rodamel? I don't know. He's the no, presenter of this one. This is the only video he's done. We, we dug, we try to dig into these people, Jared, the, uh, he's a former archivist at Mount Vernon and there's nothing particularly interesting about his background. Um, some of the people, I mean, we've had snake handler presenters and so forth, but he, he seems. Can I real fast archivist yeah. at Mount Vernon? Like what? Are they, where are they still archiving? Are they still digging up new stuff? <laughs> That's a really good question because Washington's been they, dead for what? F- at least 60 years, right? I mean, did he hide well, a Folgers can in the backyard? What are we talking about here? <laughs> there's a bottomless pit of documents on the property. And they just keep mining them, <laughs> digging them up. That's a really good question. Because, yeah, I, yeah, what is an arch- former archivist? Maybe they finished. Maybe he's the guy who finished the job. <laughs> He's no money tied the bow on it and walked away. Yeah. He's like, well, we're done. But uh but anyway, let's 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 get into his intro. He was a man great men trusted. Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, James Madison, and so many others looked up to him. Literally. He was one of the tallest men of his era at six feet three. Had courage, integrity, and By the way, I want to say you may notice. In one or two of these, they do the same thing. And then there are a bunch of the others that I watched too that we're not covering. Again, a real historian and a podcaster who does history. Does the height of these guys matter um, for some I, reason? I, well, I think, I mean, I think it does. I think that because everyone was so short, I think it mm-hmm. does kind of matter. Well, it, why, the I mean, problem yeah. with George Washington is you're basically filibustering. That's the thing with this guy is there's like, you can say he was a great general or whatever. And even that is up for debate. Like there's nothing that he did outside of walk away from the presidency after two terms that anybody really has anything to say anything about. Everything that we discuss when it comes to George Washington is mythology that was completely made up, by the way, in order to sell a bunch of books after the founders had died. There's nothing particularly Jesus. Yes, exactly like Jesus. Exactly. It's a hundred percent. Like, I'm sorry, the guy was tall. That's what you've got for me. That's yeah, what made yeah. him great. And and oh, the people who you'll notice they're even padding the time of it. Great men looked up to him. Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, Corn Pop, Alfalfa. <laughs> like, it just reaches a point where you're like, are what what made him great? That he was tall? Well, they did look up to me. Great men look up to me, generally. I've only met one great man taller than me. Everything I read about him is is he he (laughs) is popular because he's rich. You know, the way he died was idiotic because he was a moron. Um, The the he was obsessed with trying to get a slave back. Uh, He he wasn't a good general. I mean, I haven't extensively read about him, but the things I have read. Especially the crossing of the Delaware, like his plan would have failed miserably, and due to happenstance, it it worked. Absolutely nothing to do with him. So everything everything I've read, it's been like he just kind of stumbled into this stuff. But at the end of the day, he was the rich guy. 
Right. He was the rich guy. And he was he was the richest man, the number one land speculator, which was why he was in the entire business, by the way. And by the way, uh, uh, the great, great ancestor of all of our wealthy people now, he had no idea how to actually make money except that the system was explicitly set up for him to make money. Otherwise, he was a complete and utter failure. And the entire idea, and this is what happens in a lot of these videos that Prager sets up, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it. It's this idea that like God chose George Washington to defeat the British army and that's why it happened. No, it was because the British army had to cross an ocean and they didn't have a lot of resources. And yeah. on top of that, they were fighting an away game. Right. You know, yeah. and, and we, by, the time, and they, so by the time they got there, they all had scurvy. Is that what you're <laughs> exactly? And, and even everybody who looks at this from like an actual economic and historical political position says, yeah, this was destined to happen. You're going to lose your colonies, especially when you have something like the United States of America waiting to be birthed into existence. It's not because George Washington was tall or because well, he also, had there's, there's a classic Bill Cosby bit, um, uh, cursed be his name, um, about how you know, the, the British wear red and march in a straight line and the Americans can fire behind trees and rocks. But I also I want to ask, I, Dave, I shouldn't make fun of you. Dave. One of the four people who listen to this who don't know the dollop, it's like I would argue one of the best history podcasts in the universe. Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, didn't you do – I feel like you did uh, – uh, didn't you guys do one about George Washington's teeth? Yes. Um, it's that, – that you know, that's fascinating. That was back when teeth were things – you know, when soldiers died on the field, they went and grabbed all their teeth because they were going to put them in someone else's mouth. Jesus Christ. So uh, there's no there's no actual evidence that he used slaves' teeth, but I I absolutely would not put it out of the question either. Like it's a strong possibility that he he could have had slaves' te teeth in his mouth. He certainly had all kinds of fucking teeth. You know, he he tried whalebone, he tried wood, he tried. The reason you always see him semi frowning in pictures is because his he's in incredible pain constantly. Um, good. Teeth. He has. Good. <laughs> yes. And, and, I, and I want to say, like, the, the, the whole point with Washington and, and none of these videos actually deal with anything that he did administratively. None of them um, deal with yeah, anything. Yeah, it's all, it's all the mythology of, of winning the revolution. And, well, the whole point, and, and we'll talk about America. what the Constitution was, why this system got set up. And, and to go off what Dave was saying in terms of like slaves, like it's not like even Thomas Jefferson was able to say, I'm a little weird about this every now and then, even while he was profiting off all this. George Washington was a prolific slave owner. And on top of that, as president, what did he do? He pushed for Haiti to continue to be a slave colony, which is one of the most shameful things that a president has ever done. And that was part of, of his entire legacy. Like, this is a really shameful character. And all they've got for you is the fact, again, the dude's tall. Good for him. Great. And isn't Haiti's the first place that ever actually really fought back and stopped that shit? Is um, yeah, which which is hilarious because these guys always like to go on like whenever you talk about slavery, like well, white people didn't invent it, but white people ended it. And you're like, well, no, not so much. <laughs> and by the way, you weren't the Haiti, first to do either. I'll give you one, but <laughs> Haiti beat France, 
And then they beat Napoleonic France. They also beat every major nation on the face of the earth, despite the fact that people like the United States were piling money into there left and right. And is one of the reasons why eventually we get the civil wars because of fear of, of, a, of a Haitian uprising. But I mean, George Washington left and right was just like, no, we need, we need to stop this. This is an injustice that black men could be free over here. That's his the only thing, thing, the only thing Haiti friend. couldn't. The only thing Hetty couldn't beat is the Clintons. But he had that, um, uh, who were they talking about? One of the others. He had some like Billy Joe or something, his, his sidekick, the slave that stayed with him everywhere, who he finally, who he freed after he uh, died. So his, George Washington's slaves are an interesting thing. So a lot of people think like, well, that was just the time. Everybody had slaves. George Washington, when he went uh, to Philadelphia to be part of the government, yes, that state had a had a law, and that and that law because of the Quakers, and that law was, if you move to this state and you have slaves after six months, they are free. So, what did George Washington do? First of all, the number the first thing he did was think that his slaves were so dumb they wouldn't realize that was the law. So he's treating them like five year olds. Number one. And then number two, uh, he reset the clock. So they would take their slaves just before six months on a one-day trip to, back to Mount Vernon or whatever, and then they bring them back and reset the clock, which is grotesque. It's just like it's that, that idea that everybody had slaves and that was the way it was. No, this is a guy purposefully going around the system to, to get out of a law. And then right. his wife's favorite slave escaped – by the way, he married into That's insane right. wealth also. His wife's favorite slave escaped, and he spent years hunting her down. She made her way up to North uh, uh, to New Hampshire, and she was living her life. And he was trying to get her back for years. He couldn't take it. So he wasn't a good dude. Uh, you know, if you compare him to the Quakers, he's a fucking monster when it comes to slavery. That's right. So let's let's keep going. This is just the introduction. I also love there's this way this guy is just his breathless. Like you can oh. tell how he feels about George Washington and how much he wishes he could be in a room with him someday. Wisdom, and you have a truly impressive figure. Let's start with his courage. That was never in doubt. If anything, he had too much of it. Oh my God. <laughs> Bold to the point of rashness as a young man, he fought for the British against the French over control of the Ohio Valley then the westernmost point of the American wilderness. <laughs> Throughout that conflict, known as the French and Indian War and the American Revolution, Washington was always in the thick of the action. His aides often struggled to keep him from surging too far ahead of his own troops. Mm, in one battle, his coat was pierced four times by musket fire. Horses were shot out from under him. Amazingly, some would say miraculously, he was never wounded. Not so much as a flesh wound. Okay, hold Can on. Can you pause? Yeah. He, oh, yeah. No, he we're, said we're, that. We yeah. that's not we don't know that's true. He said that. That's it. Also That's the proof. I, I and I want to point out that, that what's happening here, there's so much occurring just in this <laughs> snippet. Why is it and, and we're gonna sit here and talk about how great of a military leader he is, but he actually got people killed because he was going out of in front of them. And by the right. way, why is he doing it? It's not out of courage, it's land speculation. 
He wanted to get out and find more land so that he could profit off of it, which we'll talk about more in a second, I'm sure. But on top of that, this miraculous idea is the biggest horse shit of all. This is what Prager is trying to get to at the heart of it, which is that God himself has chosen mm-hmm. the United States as being the That's champion right. of his will. And, and throughout this, it is the idea that this has divine intervention all throughout it, which, by the way, is why this shouldn't be taught in public schools, first of all. But second of all, this is how you get around slavery, white supremacy, oppression, patriarchy, all of it is to go ahead and say that God is on our side. And as a result, you can't question what we're doing. And this is like the main foundational brick of all of it. But he had more courage than nobody man could should be allowed to have. <laughs> but that's such a Dopey, like I, I guess th- this is the other thing, and I keep mentioning it, and I apologize to our listeners, but you know, early on, I sent Dave one of these videos. I don't remember which one it was, and he's like, "Oh, that's one of the kids' ones," because of course they do kids' videos. I was like, "No, this is one of the ones for the adults," and stuff like this. When he's sitting there talking about how tall he was and how brave he was, forgive me, I'm not a historian. You gentlemen can clear this up for me if I'm wrong, but I feel like if I'm actually teaching history, I'm not standing in front of a class, say, in a university and going, George Washington was tall and he was brave and I wish I could be his friend. This, honestly, the audience for this are people who get misty-eyed looking at Revolutionary War magazines and Barnes & Noble waiting on a table at P.F. Chang's. I mean, it literally is, it's, it's people who get caught up in the image of America that has absolutely nothing to do to do with anything, with anything, anything. Yeah. And why are you telling? Cause you're, cause you're just trying to inculcate me into your, your propaganda. Why are you hitting this so hard? He was honest. He was tall. He was brave. Wait, by the way, yeah, it's, all, it, yeah. it's such a child's view of history. Right. It's a child's view of history. It's all, it's all, they're all like, like, uh, trigger words for a five-year-old. You know? like, yeah. They're really, by the way, I'm completely okay. I, I, I have no choice in being okay. We all are okay with, I mean, there's nobody on the planet who can say this as far as I know. Yeah. The country I live in was, was created by people who were at best complicated at worst monsters. Yes. Okay. Sure. Not my fault. You know, I, there's a lot I can do to, to sort of clean up the mess they lay, they left. But this whole thing of like idolizing them and turning them into these, these heroes is just so freaking bonkers. But that also determines whether or not we change anything. You know, right. like it literally, like, like that 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 smooth brain that we're talking about here. Like, it, it you either say everything is probably okay, we need to stop questioning what's going on, and meanwhile, it is built yeah. on that. It's built on George Washington was tall and he could not tell a lie, which is just straight dumb shit, right? But that that yeah. makes sure that women aren't able to, uh, you know, have bodily autonomy in certain states. It's what is now sure. making children go to work in factories and slaughterhouses. It's and- that level yeah. of stupid. And let's be real. There are people listening to this who are completely aligned with us in, in the mission of dissecting and taking apart Prager you who are outraged by them who are listening to us talk right now and going, that's disgusting. I'm not going to listen to it anymore. <laughs> that's horrifying. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so I think it's this weird story about the Newburgh Rebellion. Uh, one of the group of officers. What it's, they refuse to give up their arms until they get paid. What was, what was going on there? I'm going to play the clip of his speech, but yeah, they, they threatened to take over the government 
How much of that is true? Is that the true story? Is that a good enough estimation? Well, here's the thing. We don't really have a lot of records of exactly what happened. So we have a bunch of tales, right? So we have a bunch of stories about how this stuff took place. What we do know that, by the way, I know this is shocking. Prager doesn't get into, which is immediately after the revolution, basically everybody looks up and they're like, hey, wait a second. I, I think maybe this war was fought to help the wealthy elite. And everybody else is getting screwed mm-hmm. with their pants on. Yeah. And, and that, like, fuck you pay me essentially, right? Right. Not <laughs> only like the soldiers and like the, the officers, but everybody top to bottom. I mean, George Washington, I don't think a lot of people know this. George Washington literally got on a horse and led the army to quell a tax rebellion as president of the United States of America. Wait like a minute. That, like, isn't there, again, not, not the big history guy. I feel like there's a whole tax thing a few years earlier that, uh, might, is this a little hypoc- hypocritical on his part? I don't know. I'm, I'm like, uh, when I think tax rebellion, anyway, just uh, wow, I, I didn't know that at all. That's amazing. And by the way, the people, like, they basically, you know, everybody's like, yeah, absolutely. Let's have a revolution. This is, well, by the way, not everybody, only a third of the country supported yeah. it. Uh, right. But then afterwards, everybody else is like, Oh, yeah, let's go ahead and put up liberty polls and say that we want representation with our taxation. And George Washington got on his horse and went out to slaughter them. Like, that literally happened. Jesus Christ. Well, let's. So these, uh, these gentlemen are uh, uh, demanding money, essentially. And uh, George goes off to see them. They had risked everything to create a Republican society, he told the officers, to abandon the cause now when true victory was so close, would mean all their sacrifices would have been in vain. However convincing the speech may have been, it was a simple gesture that carried the day. He concluded his remarks by reading to them a letter sent to him from a member of Congress. Suddenly he stopped. From his pocket, he pulled a pair of spectacles. None of the officers had ever seen him wear them. Putting the glasses on, Washington said, Gentlemen, you must pardon me. I have grown gray in the service of my country and now find myself going blind. He finished reading the letter and left the hall without another word. The gesture, sincerely offered with just the right touch of stagecraft, pierced the hearts of his men. Many were moved to tears. They immediately passed a resolution declaring their loyalty to civilian government. George Washington had saved the revolution once again. I, wait, before we even get, I don't even know what that means. They, what they heard him. I'm like, Hey, the, the old man's weak. Let's kill him. That would be, my, <laughs> like, what, what is happening? What, how, why are they responding the, to this? I don't even understand no, what the story the guy's trying to tell me. He's, he showed a sign of vulnerability. He, he's saying that George Washington, this incredible, a man that basically birthed courage. He showed that he is human and they were like, Oh my God, I thought you were a super being the, the stu- the, the level of stupidity to think in this time in which people's noses fell off from syphilis and they fucking died at 40, that someone putting on eyeglasses would be like, wow, this guy's really, it's so dumb. Their bodies were constantly falling apart. And by the way, I, I had a moment there where like I disassociated, imagine myself being in fifth grade at Mount Vernon, <laughs> wanting to sneak off to the bus and like eat my sandwich. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that was incredible. I, I love that this guy, this is what he's doing with history the whole time. 
Like it literally is telling you a story, which by the way, we'll get to John Adams in a bit. The idea is that he was the right man at the right place at the right time. And if he hadn't have been there and if his instincts, that vulnerability, that speech hadn't been said, then literally we would be, you know, taking tea right now. And, 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 (laughs) you know, basically, you guys are rising up in rebellion. I'm sent to stop you. And the way I stop you is to show you that I am vulnerable and infirm. That just seems like that's exactly, this is not the time to roll over and show your enemy your belly. This is the time to come down and show them you can kick their ass with your eyes closed. Am I wrong? But Josh, what is also, this is also a guy who died because he went out in the rain and then came home and thought it would be rude to change and sat in his wet clothes throughout dinner. That's right. And, and by the way, died. everybody who talks about his presidency, they all are just like, he's very tall. <laughs> but, you know, he, le- he left when he was supposed to leave. Like none of the stuff that is, is at all involved, like this thing it's supposed to it's supposed to hit you in the heart is like the West Wing crescendo hits. That's what it is. Yeah. But it doesn't it doesn't it it's supposed to feel like he said the right thing and it appealed to their sense of duty and then it carried things out. And like that completely obfuscates how things work. You know, like did yeah. they they stuck around because they figured out that was probably the best way to get their money and and to maintain power. Otherwise, there would have been a coup and that would have been that. That's that. I just, yeah, I don't, I don't get that one. Like, I know if I were working on a script and I wrote that scene, they'd be like, "Wait, what?" Wait, what? Like, yeah, he puts yeah. on glasses and talks about how weak he is, and they all go, "Shit, we better not." <laughs> and now I'm like, I'm wondering why I got fired off that script. But are you picturing him about two heads taller than everybody in the room? Yeah. Oh Did you, no, you know I forgot that the, part. Can he in the script? Is he dumb? Actors are all short. You know this, right? <laughs> it's also dumb. This is so spectacularly, this is so much dumber than he chopped down the cherry tree and wouldn't lie. This is so much dumber than anything I've ever heard about George Washington. But see, that story has a kind of Aesop's fables kind of simplicity and nice. It's like, I don't care if it's true or not. There's a certain element when you're five. It's like, oh, yeah, if you're going to be, you know, the, the, the good man who can do it or whatever, you should aspire to be honest. Can I tell you, uh, by the way, I had to do research on this when I was writing my book, American Rule, because I wanted to know where all these these stories came from. It literally was written to sell books after the founding generation had died because somebody was like, hey, something like a Paul Bunyan, but for George Washington, it felt great. And and, and to be clear, that's how dumb our understanding of history is in this country is yeah. at times. Oh, we wait, so is that where the, the friend, the slave he befriended who followed him everywhere comes from? Is he supposed that to be like babe, like, the, babe, the blue ox? He's like, that sounds like something my, my racist, like great aunt told everybody at Christmas time. <laughs> that is like really a weird. Hey, wow, he was good. To, he kept one of them with him and the guy oh, went everywhere and he oh, freed him oh, after he died. Oh, and the old man was 90. I mean, think about that, though. So so this is a guy who didn't allow his slaves to be freed in the state of Pennsylvania and would take them to reset the clock. Why would a slave be beholden to that guy? Oh, right. Oh, bad. Fear, Dave. Mm. Fear. He, like, wa- George Washington and his wife 
were part of the 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 people who believed that slaves were better off yep. as slaves than free people. Well, they let's actually want to get into that a little. Can, a we, can we segue into the next one? Because I found some uh, – our next, our next video, also about Washington, is called George Washington, a general without an army. Uh, our instructor this time is a gentleman named Edward Lengel, and this is his only video. Were you familiar with him, Jared? No, I refuse to believe any of these people are real. Well, we actually are. Uh, <laughs> Brian, Brian is a great theory, which I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you guys later in this episode. I can't but. I can't get on board with these people being real. <laughs> this is uh, this is his only video at PragerU. He wrote a book called uh, "Come On First Entrepreneur: How George Washington Built His and the Nation's Prosperity." Uh, it's mainly about Washington's skill as a man of business. Um, about his financial speculation and experimentation with farming crops and methods and stuff like that. But this is from an interview. And keep in mind, this is a biographer who I suspect when you listen to him talk um, is second, maybe only to the guy we just heard in his just affection for the, for George. Um, he says, it seems clear to me that Washington increasingly turned against slavery as he came to understand its basic conflict weight with the work benefit principle. Like oh, other advanced okay. figures of his time, he fundamentally regarded industry and morality as two sides of the same coin. Oh. An industrious person was a moral person and vice versa. The more he watched slavery and operation on his own estate and the more he witnessed the various ways in which enslaved people were indifferent to or resisted work because they had no vested interest in success, the more Washington regarded, regarded the institution is inherently corrupt. Unfortunately, it still took him many years to break away from it altogether by freeing his slaves by the term of his will. So he, this is a guy who is on Prager University talking about what a great man George Washington was. Even he's dealing with the fact that, and having to acknowledge it, that Washington opposed slavery, not because it was barbaric and inhuman, but because the slaves were not invested in their work. Right. They, he basically believed, and, and this was a, a fairly common uh, belief at the time, that if you freed the slaves, they would just lay down and die. I mean, they'd, they'd be even less incentivized to work because they were so lazy. They wouldn't know what to do. They would be incapable right. of surviving on their own. Which was the These mythology. people who are fucking doing back, back all of the work, the people doing all of the work, if they were free, then they would be like, okay, I'm going to sit down now and just die in the mud. It's so dumb. Well, and, and the ideology, the narrative there, and you're exactly right. The idea was that these were just pitiful creatures. And that, yeah. you know, oh, I mean, I if I have to take care of them, I will. There's a paternalism that's in that. Yeah, that was at right. the heart of all of it. Which, by the way, is a hell of a thing to do while you are doing no labor. You are making all of the money that is coming from it. But I guess whatever gets you to sleep at night, George. And for this guy, like, I still, I don't know about you guys. I still have things that I said when I was, like, in third grade that I'll stay up at night and be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I said that. This guy said that what, in, what about when I was, like, 25? I know. Yeah. That guy said in an interview that, like, can you imagine trying to square the circle and being like, this is an okay thing to say? <laughs> like, that is wild. Well, Prager wild. goes off a lot on, I mean, they all do on, on uh, you know, it's funny because there's this concept. And, and you get into this weird gray area, you know, it's presentism where it's like, it's wrong to judge people by today's standards. And it's like, well, 
but there's, I don't know what the gray area is, but you know where the line is. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, we just put out a video the other day of, of Prager saying, you know, there were some good slaveholders. You're like, yeah, you know, finally can't go with you there. <laughs> so, like, I don't care what the culture you're living in tells you. You own other human beings and you're destroying the way you're not a good person. You're nice to your white friends. You know? so, yeah. It, there were, there were always people saying don't own other people. <laughs> there were always people yeah. saying that. Yeah. The, uh, the, that the, the, it's not like there weren't abolitionists back then, but also I think this is always amazing that they want us to believe two things in our minds. One, the founding generation looked at the world as it worked the world order system and thought, no, we can change that and we can make it more fair and full of liberty for ourselves. But yeah. they literally like whipped people and murdered people and raped people and never once thought perhaps there might be a better way. And if you go to like the constitutional convention, which wasn't even a constitutional convention for that matter. And we'll get into that. Like they literally sat there and they're like, yeah, we might do away with this thing, but I think that's going to hold us back from making money. Like they, they, it's, it's again, it's actually both insulting and embarrassing at the exact same time to sit around yeah. with that. Have you ever thought about how movies influence your values and perspective? How the ideological messages baked into some of your favorite films might inform your politics more than actual politics? Then you should check out our podcast, Movies vs. Capitalism. I'm Rivka Rivera. I'm an actor, playwright, and artist educator. And I'm Frank Capello. I'm a writer, producer, and political content creator. Each week on Movies vs. Capitalism, Frank and I are joined by a guest for a fun yet critical discussion about a movie and how it's obviously a scathing indictment of late-stage capitalism. Yeah, like how Office Space is a comedy about worker alienation. Or how Ants is a kid's movie about the military-industrial complex. You've Got Mail is really a psychological thriller about the effects of market consolidation. Yeah, You've Got Mail is seriously fucked up. Yeah, it is super fucked up. Movies vs. Capitalism is produced by The Lever, a reader-supported investigative news outlet. You can listen and subscribe at mvcpod.com or search for Movies vs. Capitalism in your podcast player. And we'll see you at the movies. Yeah, the podcast. Yeah, the podcast about movies and capitalism. Ooh, movies versus capitalism. Yeah, and it's it's like it's fair to judge. I don't know. You know, I'm, I've got a great 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 grandmother. I'm sure who believed the Jews had horns. She never met any. She never did anything about it. You're like, yeah, okay. She's you can judge her absent that. You're like, if it were 2023, she probably wouldn't believe the Jews had horns anymore. But you know, you're owning slaves. <laughs> it's it's fair to judge you by these standards. Jesus yeah. Christ. Uh, so let's let's. Uh, Let's get into this guy, George Washington, a general without an army. The following year, 1754, Washington was appointed lieutenant colonel of the Virginia Regiment and was once again sent to the frontier to engage the French. When Washington, near what is now Pittsburgh, became convinced that the French were preparing to ambush him, he decided to make a preemptive attack. In the ensuing battle, a French officer, Ensign Jumonville, and nine of his men were killed. The French didn't take it well. They sent a force to track Washington down. Washington decided to make his stand at a small, hastily built enclosure he dubbed Fort Necessity. It should have been his last stand. In a driving rain, the French surrounded the fort and opened fire. One hundred of Washington's men were either killed or wounded before he finally surrendered. 
the terms of surrender were written, of course, in French, which Washington didn't understand. <laughs> to his great dismay, he later learned that in signing the document, he had admitted to ordering the assassination of Jumonville. <laughs> the French later used this admission to justify their claim that it was the British who started what became known as the Seven Years' War in Europe or the French and Indian War in the colonies. In the words of English writer and politician Sir Horace Walpole, the volley fired by a young Virginian in the backwoods of America set the world on fire. This was the first time Washington's name was heard in the courts of Europe. It would not, of course, be the last. That's a great one. I, 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 there's so much to unpack in this horse shit. First of all, he was out there trying to speculate land in order to line his pockets. <laughs> Second of all, he made a terrible decision as a military leader that got everybody either shot or their legs sawed off at a battleground. <laughs> Eventually, he has to sign something that he doesn't know how to read, which implicates him and basically ruins everything. By the way, this oh, is... That, 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 like, like, yeah, hold on. I'd Can we look, talk I'm, about this for a minute? Is that true? So... Yes, it is. Because that's my biggest. It's like, <laughs> yeah, always read your contracts. And I'm like, sure, I'm going to sign something in which I have like committed some federal crime, like calling for the assassination of somebody I shouldn't be calling for. And by the way, I want to point out, what this, is not, this is not the first place where it's been argued that George Washington set off the Seven Years' War, which eventually leads to the American Revolu Revolution and a bunch of stuff. Are you kidding me? It's that so this dumb. is what sets off basically one of the first world wars? Is George yeah, Washington doing this? No, hold on, hold on. Read? There were there were no there were others. There were no problems between England and France. <laughs> That's right. They were hanging out. Contract. They were fine. <laughs> it's literally it's it's like saying that like I I, I it's like taking the most American centric view of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 just putting it into motion. It's it's so stupid. It's the dumbest thing I I've I've heard since the last thing. Yeah, it's a level of American exceptionalism that's so crazy because the idea that like a war, a world war essentially starts because an American signed a piece of paper he couldn't read is <laughs> so fucking crazy i don't know what to say about it like making this video i would be like hey we should i feel like we should not do this part it's like we look I, like I feel idiots, like it's not a thing we? that's commonly taught certainly not in school because it, yeah it's like we don't really spew this story much anymore do we outside of crazy places like this this is one know. of those things that has started you know we we have to we have to make content you know, we got to put out articles. We got to put out podcasts. We're still trying to find shit. And like, this is something that like people argue every now and then because they have no understanding of any of the conditions. England and France were going to go to war, whether or not, you know, George Washington went into business for himself, like John McClain rushing into a room, you know, like this, <laughs> this has nothing to do with anything. It is. I, I'm embarrassed for the guy. Like, I yeah. don't know the point of this video. I don't know what you're trying to tell me. The the even the 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 content doesn't make sense. And uh, Josh, to your point, they're not teaching this anymore. No, yeah. this is exactly the kind of shit they're bringing back. That's right. Jesus Christ. <sighs> um, 
<laughs> Welcome to fascism, man. <laughs> that's what it looks like. <laughs> it's well, yeah, stupid, as you said. That's the thing. Yeah. Because they did none of these. They, they were talking about how great Washington was. He did two terms as U.S. president. And they never talked about that. St- it was also our sixth president, I believe. Sixth. There were five guys who were unofficial presidents before, before it became an actual country. There were right. there were guys before him. Um, there's a lot of shit we don't talk about. Like, but why, why are they not? You, you want to talk about how great Washington is? How come you never talk about what kind of president he was? Because he was I an think the military stuff's more fun. It's more easy to turn into a, yeah. a superhero comic book. Well, they uh, they don't talk about what uh, what any president was actually. The fucking Reagan and Obama and Clinton. Like they don't talk about any. No one gets fucking George Bush. No, but you talk about things they did. Even if you whitewash it, they talk about things they did. They do. They, you know, Reagan was the great communicator. Who I don't know what the fuck they say. You know, we would, but it is discussed. The problem with Washington is if you start drilling down the surface, first of all, you see that like he was nothing except for a mythical hero. But you also have to start arguing with something that they leave behind when it gets to John Adams, which is they literally did not want multiple parties. They wanted one yes. party of white, wealthy men to make all the decisions yeah, and never compete against each other. And so it's it's not like people, you know, I, I always ask the question, like elementary school, is that who George Washington beat for the presidency? And it's like, oh, move it along, move it along. Uh, <laughs> we we, we, we got to talk about other things. It's like, oh, what were what were the numbers there? You know, and yeah. that's not how it was, because if you get into the, records the debates. <laughs> yeah, it gets it gets really upsetting when you start to realize that these people literally want to create like a totalitarian state of the white and wealthy men. That's what they yeah. that's what they designed, period. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, were you guys ready to move on from uh George Washington? Give I've been ready to move again. on since before this podcast <laughs> started, I gotta be honest. <laughs> so uh uh our next our next one is John Adams, American founder and second president. By the way. Paul Giamatti show hit miss. I, I enjoyed it very much. Do you guys like that? I, I, you know what? I, I watched it before I really read much about, so I don't recall how true it was. Um, I know he was a curmudgeon, fucking asshole who right. like, he was a terrible man. <laughs> he was a ter- oh, talk about yeah, despotic, yeah. you know, asshole. Like, yeah. I will say what I enjoyed about that miniseries. Number one, terrible prosthetic makeup. Awful. <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember Paul, that. Paul oh. Giamatti was fantastic. But the thing that made it for me, man, the red hot tension between John and Abigail, they were ready to fuck <laughs> that entire series. <laughs> let it be known. And the video's getting to it too. I love that. I love it. Who who played who 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 played her? I don't even Oh, Laura Linney. Yeah, Laura Linney. Yep, that's right. Well, sure. Um, So let's. This is another one of these guys. Just going to ask. See Bradley Thompson, big in your circles, Jared. (laughs) I mean, we hang out every now and then, but we don't agree on everything. Uh, Most of his other videos are about the evils of Marxism, as there are a lot of his writings, which and it mostly boils down boils down to uh, Marxists are losers who envy winners. Fair enough. Um, he blamed school shootings okay. on progressive education and nihilism. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus. What's the problem? I don't, I don't, wait. Yeah. What is, is this? 
I know, man. I, I, you know, on the one hand, he's right. On the other hand, I got to say, if I hadn't taken nihilism in high school, I would not be the man I am today. Uh, but Brian Siano, our, our research guy, pointed something out really interesting because we've done several of these now in a lot of topics. Things. Um, he points out the one downside because a lot of it is like we have experts come on. So I don't ask, you know, we're like, don't, don't really worry too much about the videos. Just like, who are these people? Anything interesting about them? And sometimes there's very interesting things about them. But it's like one downside to Frager using these basically fifth tier academics for us is it takes a ton of work to find out anything interesting about them because they're just not distinctive enough to get noticed outside of the little worlds they inhabit. You know, um, he said, I had to scroll through five pages of Google results uh, to get past ads and mentions and laudatory interviews before finding anything critical. And it's some Catholic website uh, complaining that C. Bradley Thompson, um, that his account of the constitution is fanfic about John Locke. <laughs> Interesting. But you know, that, that could be a built in thing. It's like they, they, they padded out with some big names here and there. And we'll get to at least one later, but then it's a lot of these, like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. And they dress well. Also, and I guess stop they present well. Stop using Google. It's a catastrophe. It's a terrible search engine now. Stop. <laughs> yeah, Brian, if you're listening, uh, but let, let's get into John Adams, American founder and uh, uh, second president. Despot. Everybody knows what happened on July fourth, seventeen seventy six. America was born, but three days earlier, on July first, independence hung in the balance. There was a great case to be made not to secede from Great Britain. The colonists had no army, no navy, and almost no money. England had a lot of all three. It would have made perfect sense to bend to the will of the crown, pay some extra taxes, and call it a day. There were plenty of people in Philadelphia prepared to make that case. They could have easily prevailed, yet they didn't. They didn't because of the words of one man, John Adams. At a key moment in the congressional debate, when the forces against independence appeared to have the upper hand, Adams rose to his feet. Without notes and without any preparation, he made the case for independence. By the time he sat down, the case had been won. We don't have a transcript uh, hold, hold on, of what he hold, said. Hold on, hold if on. If we did, hold, hold Adams on. might rank even higher than he does now among the founding fathers. Can I, can I just say something about the time? Yeah. Um, they would fucking go up there and speak all the time for hours. They didn't use yeah. notes. They, they would did. just sit there and fucking hours long speak. Like this is hey, what that guy just said is the normal shit happened. Like that's right. what occurred. Like guys would go on forever. Well, and, and two things. One, I just love the balls it takes to say, no one knows what he said, except for it was great. That's amazing. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, I was like, incredible. you just give him some spectacles to put on that. Well, like, and then he put on his glasses and they all went, oh shit. And but here's a fun America. thing that happened. And, and, and actually, so this is a fun little anecdote. I was really excited to, to tell you all about. So this speech by Adams before July 4th, 1776, over the years, it's not enough that the fa a founding father gave this speech that nobody remembers. No one knows what it was about. The, the far right and the evangelical right and even Ronald Reagan started telling a story. And this is great, by the way, that 
it hung in the balance. No, we weren't sure if we were going to declare independence. And then a man stood up and gave a speech that just touched everybody and made sure that America would eventually declare independence. And then they turned around and he was gone. And why? Because it was an angel sent from fucking heaven by God to convince the founder to go forward with independence. It is the dumbest stuff, but it has it has been told over and over again. Ronald Reagan uh, basically used it in every speech that he gave for years to point out the idea that God intended for uh, the revolution to happen. But here it is. It's John Adams, and he would be a better president if we all knew what he said. <laughs> It's a true story. An angel. So there's no historical accounts to indicate what the fuck he said. That it sounds great, doesn't it? You could imagine what he said. I mean, like you put whatever. It's a MacGuffin. Whatever you wanted John Adams to say to make you feel good and get yeah. all excited in your heart of Twitter, you can make it up. Period. Or an angel. Yeah. Um, he does get into a little bit though of like how he was to work with. Brilliant, demanding, meticulous, but often irascible. He was not an easy man to love. At some point in his life, he irritated, if not alienated, everyone with whom he worked. Yet these same people would invariably come to appreciate him. That included Washington and especially Jefferson, with whom he sometimes fought bitterly. Mm. Ironically, for all his cantankerousness, his marriage to Abigail Adams stands as one of the great love stories of American history. Yeah, so. Glad to fuck. Well, it's important to know that uh, this president, the second president, was super into banging. <laughs> also, I love the, the little thing they did there. You know, he tangled with Jefferson, but they loved each other. The man literally tried to get rid of every freedom in the United States of America yeah. in order to go after his enemies. Also, by the way, this is a fun fact that always gets hidden. Basically accused Thomas Jefferson and this upstart party. It was the first time that we had different parties. He tried to thwart it by claiming that he was a an Illuminati conspirator trying to mm. destroy the country and made it illegal for people to question and criticize him. People were yeah. literally thrown in jail for criticizing John Adams. To so, be fair, who among us here would not pass such a law if we could? Okay. Great. I mean, that's a, you're essentially talking about my Twitter. Exactly right. Exactly. Right. By the way, Dave, I, I have a list of forty-seven people who. Uh, it's this week's list of people begging for you to unblock them. <laughs> they were actually they're saying something nice to you when you block them. Garrett, I can't tell you how many these I get. I'm sure Gareth gets even more. Hey, could oh, you yeah. tell Dave I was, I was actually saying way to go, man? I thought <laughs> just blocked me. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. Good luck. You're not missing anything. He's cantankerous. Um, yeah. Irascible. Yes. Irascible. Desperate. Uh, so, yeah. So, kind of. Um, that's John. I, the, uh, like, Where, but nobody teaches there, it this there's, way. I mean, that's. The, I mean, well, nobody look, teaches there, the way a, we're talking either, is the thing. That's certainly not in a high school. There, there's a couple of presidents, uh, Jackson Adams, that are horrendous pieces of shit. Yes. And the fact that you're using this guy, and I think it's just because he was second, like talking about him this way is insane. Insane. And by the way, this is how people will say Donald Trump's unprecedented. 
Like, no, it's not. Like not at all. What John Adams did in the lead up to the election of 1800. Like, if you want to understand Donald Trump, like you look back and you look at this. He was a petty little tyrant. Yeah. And did not want to get defeated. And and I want to point out, this was the first time that we had parties, you know, and this right. is how they reacted. It was an immediate, no, we're going to get rid of civil liberties. Done. Yeah. That's it. I like, remember. Like, no, it's funny. It's as you say that. Yeah. So Donald Trump was a lot like the founding fathers. Yes. Unironically, not being funny. And I, I remember back, remember when um, oh, a bunch of Contras uh, back during the, the Reagan years, uh, sh- did they just, sh- no, they, they, they raped and murdered a busload of nuns, I believe. Is that correct? And Reagan, uh, the same way, compared them to the founding fathers. Yes. And yeah. a lot of people were outraged. And I remember sitting there kind of going, eh. yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to give the old man a point founding, on that one. The founding fathers would have killed a Catholic if they saw one. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, let's let's do Thomas Jefferson now. We got Carol Swain. We've talked about her on previous ones. She, um, uh, yeah, she's kind of a she's kind of a creep. Can um, I say real fast about sure. her? Oh, you do. Okay, yes. I so when we agreed to do this, Josh had said to me, you know, go and look at these videos, see what's happening here. When I opened up the Thomas Jefferson one, and I saw. <laughs> that it was being performed by an African-American woman. Josh, Dave, people listening to this show, I gasped. I literally well, gasped. Of, yeah, but that is that is so PragerU because they really, to do this, they really have to find they do. an African, to do what they want to do. Right. They got to cast this role, and I just, I just sat there and listen. I, I did my research on it because I had to watch it three or four times because the whole time I was just saying, "Sally Hemings, Sally Hemings." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about Sally. Oh my, Sally God. Hemings was a did lucky you, girl. Did you have you seen the the they recently excavated um, the property and and the room that she lived in? Have you? Oh no. I mean, have you seen have you seen the movie The Room? Uh, it oh. is a windowless tiny little box. Oh, I couldn't believe it. I, I I just wanted to say I was so shocked when I opened this, but that's the thing. It's like, I shouldn't be because you're exactly right. This is how they operate. That's who these people yeah. are. That's how they yeah. do that thing. But this is, this was wild. Imagine Cand- Candace Owens turning you down for this. That's not right. bad. Oh. <laughs> she did run for mayor of Nashville. Um, She's had a lot of major religious shifts. We we covered this before on any other one. And uh, she's also, and we'll get to this gentleman in a bit, um, uh, she even appeared in one of Dinesh D'Souza's movies, the Hillary's America one, um, and served as vice president of the Trump administration's 1776 report. Getting that history so, right. Jeez. Here we go. There's a reason why Thomas Jefferson's face is on our coinage, oh. why his sculpted head is on Mount Rushmore, and where there is a magnificent memorial in his honor in Washington, D.C. As British historian Paul Johnson put it in A History of the American People, no one did more than Jefferson to create the United States of America. I got to say real fast, this is such an amazing thing that the right does constantly. (laughs) Like the Jefferson thing, what makes him great is he's on Mount Rushmore. And he's on Mount, (laughs) Mount Rushmore because he's great. It's very circular. <laughs> yes. 
Right? I mean, literally, the circular logic is incredible with these people. Like, you created icons of him, and as a result, that's why we should think he's awesome? That is such a telling, telling start to this thing. Yeah. 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 Well, there's also, it's a weird, I mean, because it does, you're right, it doesn't make any sense. It's not a real argument, but they're, 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 this is a, a quote-unquote university in which they've had a guy a couple of times argue um, if police were racists, why would they go work in black neighborhoods? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I, I don't even, but you know, the, the thing about all this stuff is oh. you don't even know how to begin to address the stupidity of that. It's, it's like even yeah. asking the question, even hearing the question makes you dumber. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, but speaking of intelligence, let's talk about, Tom's education. Born on April 13, 1743 in Shadwell, Virginia, Jefferson early on displayed an intellectual curiosity that would never be quenched. He devoured books on history, science, math, and philosophy while learning Latin, Greek, and French. He would eventually amass a personal library of 6,500 volumes, declaring, I cannot live without books. There was virtually no subject which he didn't find fascinating and didn't try to master. Most of the time, he succeeded. So he liked books. Um, yep. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of these people, but there are there are people who like books, and they're also- all. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, people who haven't seen this video, it's got this cartoon of Thomas Jefferson reading books. I kept looking around my computer to see if the slaves were in the background. <laughs> because here is slave slaving away while he was he was sitting there reading so here is one down. of the great myths of this era the enlightenment and 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 let's be very clear is the enlightenment a period in which like a bunch of scholars like thomas jefferson are thinking about things coming up with things inventing things absolutely why did they have the wealth that they had why did and they the have time. the time that they had it's because there was a group of generational slaves that were doing the work for them and giving them the wealth to make it possible for them to do that work it is insane to think that these people were touched with genius and as a result they were able to do that period so what you're saying is it's easier to read you have more time to read when you have slaves it's incredible how it works it's almost <laughs> like it's almost like the worldwide colonization and slave trade created a class of white men who were able to spend their time thinking about things. And what did yeah. they come to? Going back to what we talked about, they came to the decision, I should be more free. Yeah. <laughs> what happened in the Enlightenment? Like literally, they literally sat around. And they're like, I think I deserve more power as they're reading and learning from the past. That's what That's what happened with the Enlightenment. Uh, and and the argument for sort of maintaining the canon of, of literature and art that we teach. And I've, I heard this decades ago before we were even really talking about it in the same way, but I remember a professor of mine was, you know, pointing out that everybody we're reading right now is, is some old white guy, which is fine. I mean, not holy shit, like Mark Twain. I'm like, I could drop everything and go read 10 Mark Twain books right now and be happy. But uh, I remember him, you know, but you know, he's like, okay, show me the great black literature from the 18th and 19th century. And you're like, um, there, there's a reason I can't, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's insane. There's just no acknowledgement of 
Yeah. And as you say, what, what allowed men like Jefferson to do this and what prevented African-Americans from doing the same? It's, it's just this. And it, and it all goes towards a larger argument of like, well, we are, you know, we are the better race because we've created all this stuff. Well, and the argument is a lie that we're living in the best of all worlds. That the smartest and the brightest and the most talented rose to the top yeah. and they created what happened. Meanwhile, I'm going to go ahead and throw out there that among that slave class, there are probably some people in it who could have contributed to make of society course. better right, and yes. added yeah. to these conversations. It's not fucking busy picking cotton and getting beaten and raped. It's like exactly. you don't have a lot of time to crank out great works of literature. When, but the mythology of the merit meritocracy and Western civilization as being the result of the best and the brightest is yeah. absolute horseshit. It's all based yeah. – same thing now. It's like, well, are there people who are smarter than Elon Musk? Yes. Yes, they're all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're all. Yeah, yeah. I think I think anybody who's been talking on Twitter now. For, <laughs> I mean, anybody who created lived a through- new thing to indicate that some people. What did they just gave that thing to Barack Obama and somebody else? They get rid of the <laughs> the blue check, and now he's come up with a new thing <laughs> to let you know that people like Barack Obama are Barack Obama because we need to be able to differentiate on Twitter. It's like. <sighs> And anybody who could have lived through the past 10 years and still think that most billionaires aren't fucking idiots and just evil, lucky guys who have no souls and are largely stupid. I mean, they're, they're completely detached from reality and, and they're fucking crazy. And, you know, if you're, if you're wealthy, it's a lot easier to keep being wealthy. This isn't hard. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, let's get into the uh, the Declaration of Independence here. Although Jefferson was not a gifted speaker, he was a genius with words. This gift is what not in the fuck? Stop John it, John Adams and Stop Benjamin the Franklin. Goddamn, what in the fuck does that mean? <laughs> what in the fuck does that mean? What is she saying? Yeah, what? Well, <sighs> he was tall, Dave. He was tall. He was tall. <laughs> I mean, what what did you have? They uh, the, they have this way of turning a phrase and saying a thing that means absolutely nothing and making it sound like it means something. Yeah, that's what PragerU is. It's really yeah. it's really crazy. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the uh, Declaration or is that? Uh... Well, I just wanted to point out with the Declaration of Independence, I love that they're o- they always talk about this as if it's some sort of like document handed down from on high, like God handed yeah. it to Moses and gave it to us. Like nobody ever talks about the fact that the first draft of the thing basically pointed out that slavery was a problem and needed to be addressed. And the Congress was like, um, we're going to need a revision of that. Um <laughs> If you could uh, get us another draft of that tomorrow. Yeah. Hey, Tom, I know you're feeling bad about yourself, but can we move forward here? Like, and and by the way, no, no, the part where you want to get rid of all my money. I don't want to do that. Also, no mention of the Declaration of Rights of Man that helped set off the French Revolution because that is persona non grata to these people. Uh, They also can't talk about the fact that Thomas Jefferson looked at the Constitution and was like, what the fuck is this? 
what are, what are we doing? I was in France and you did this? Like, <laughs> they don't want to sit with any of that because any contradiction whatsoever, the house goes down. Done. Yeah. That's it. He reduced the scope and reach of the federal government. I'm out. Cutting taxes, lowering spending. He reduced the size and scope of the federal government by making the country four times larger, basically based on personal decree, and also made a decision that all Americans should be Yaoman farmers and created one of the biggest sociological human experiments in human history. That's how he was involved in small government. Incredible. <laughs> that Incredible. bad. Not great. And we return half of the national debt. This was the small government Jefferson in action. But he had no problem exercising vigorous executive authority when he felt it was necessary. Nowhere is this better expressed than his greatest accomplishment as president, the acquisition of the Louisiana Territory from France for $15 million or just four cents an acre. In one fell swoop, Jefferson orchestrated a deal that doubled the size of the United States, incorporating territories of what are now 15 states, while also eliminating the presence of a powerful European empire from North America. It's, it's just such a, like, the simplicity of, <laughs> like, so he just signed a thing and he got it. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Do you think there's any and, politics going on or, like... And what's he's yeah, he bumped into a guy and talked him down to fifteen million. Is that <laughs> Yeah, there's no mention. Hey guys, guess what? I rated this guy last night. Guess what I did? Holy shit, you better sit down. There's no mention that Napoleon needed the money and didn't want to be on the continent anymore. And by the way, it's weird how we're not talking about the fact that there are tribes of indigenous people throughout this map that Thomas Jefferson and the people involved with him are pushing away, not just because they want them out of the way, but because there's money to be made with the land and land speculation, which is the basis of the Democratic Republican Party. The Democratic Party, it, it goes on to Andrew Jackson, you name it, but no dealing with any of this whatsoever at all. Thomas Jefferson was a complex man who must be judged in the context of his time. Jesus Christ, all I just, I pray. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just pray that nobody ever speaks of me in those terms ever. <laughs> He's a complex man who must be judged in the terms. Oh, <laughs> shit. Adolf Hitler, complex man. They, oh. If they're talking about you that way, you're you're in trouble. This is, of course, best understood in his relationship to slavery. He grew up in a world that took slave ownership for granted. He owned slaves as his father had before him, yet he abhorred the very idea of slavery. On numerous occasions, he acknowledged that he violated his fundamental belief that all men are created equal. And yet it's also true that Jefferson pointed the way out of that heinous institution. For this, we are forever in his debt. Sorry, how did he do that? So Thomas Jefferson at one point uh, basically said, I think at some point or another, if we don't get rid of slavery, they're going to rise up and kill us. Like that was literally what he said about slavery. He was like, we need to stop this because eventually there's going to be some type of a revolution that's going to kill slave owners. 
That's that's what he did. And and the Declaration of Independence didn't free anybody. Like, did it sound good in some speeches, you know, in civil rights? Yes, absolutely it did. But it never actually meant to do any of that. That that That's an absurdity. But that is, by the way, how politics has always and will always work. And it's one of my problems with teaching this cartoonish version, this mythical version. It, it's not that I don't have problems with Jefferson, but I don't have problems with him being a bad person. Nope. who did good things because he was pushed into doing them. Because we, what you, people need to understand is that is politics. You need to not spend time sitting around going, so-and-so is a good person or a bad person. Who cares? It's what can we push them into doing? What can we make them do? What are the, you know, and, and this breeds a kind of passivity in people. Well, they're good people. I don't have to do anything. No, man, you got to push them to do the shit you need them to do it's, it's just beyond cartoon. I don't want to say cartoonish because I have nothing but reverence and respect for cartoons. It's, I don't want to say childish. I have reverence and respect for children. You know, my kid's 10 months old. He already knows that I'm not going to do everything for him because I'm good. I'm going to do it because he won't shut the fuck up. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but isn't it more interesting and, 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 and more meaningful if like we look at these people and realize they did some awful things like, because yeah. what it does is it That's turns kinda... us into making the world better. Right. right. Like, like I can sit here and I can tell you that like, again, the declaration of the rights of man, I think is a really important document. The declaration of independence rhetorically is an important document, but that also makes it more meaningful that it was written by a horrific slave owner. Yes. Who was a hypocrite. Yes. That means we can make it better as opposed to, Hey, just yeah. tight and shut up. Everything's yeah. fine. By the way, it's a version of like, you know, it's, it's like, sorry, Chinatown's a great fucking movie. I can accommodate the fact that Roman Polanski isn't and still enjoy the film. I, I'm, I'm not even joking. It's like, it, it is the same mentality. And it's like, God damn it. You got to grow out of this stupid shit. You know what? You know what? My favorite thing about um, Jefferson that I didn't know was that he completely lied and started a witch hunt after Aaron Burr for, uh, you know, treason activity out, I believe in the Louisiana purchase area. Um, but just just totally fabricated and started uh, just essentially a witch hunt against Burr based on absolutely nothing. Uh, it's just I, fascinating to read that kind of stuff. I want to point out, by the way, and this is one of the things that I always love whenever you're talking about like the founding fathers. Man, they were messy. Like they yeah. really just like we're getting in like basically stuff that would make people on forum flame wars embarrassed. I mean, the stuff between yes. John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr, it's incredible. It really yeah. is. Hamilton, I mean, the feuds and pettiness. And, and meanwhile, yeah. you want to talk about God sent them to do this. No, these were some messy assholes, man. Yeah, they really were, especially Hamilton. Hamilton was really messy yes. asshole. Nobody liked him. But, you know, they were they were the elite. Yeah. You can get away with that. Yeah. Yeah, true. Um, before we get into the next one, I just want to point out, uh, uh, Jared did, and we're not going to really go into it because we covered it in our last episode uh, with, with a different episode, but um, uh, <laughs> he, he stumbled across. I love when people discover Prager kids videos for the first time, and he found the guess or mess on Thomas Jefferson, where if you kids, if they guess wrong about Thomas Jefferson, get horrible things poured on them. I, I will say that... Um, uh, the stuff they're dumping on these kids is even more disgusting than on the uh, video we looked at last week. Oh, God. Um, Josh, and, I uh, watched this 
I didn't know. Did you watch it all the way through? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's not possible. It's not possible. I'll tell you why. Because I thought I heard a siren. I thought the authorities <laughs> were coming for me. <laughs> like I thought my IP provider or uh, my, you know, my, my, my internet provider was coming and had reported me. These things, for anybody who hasn't seen them, I cannot... I can't recommend them. They make children hold their hands out and sniff things. It is so bad. More disgusting stuff on them. I also, yeah, I feel like the FBI, as long as they're keeping track of us, like if somebody watches more than two of these in a row, they they should send somebody (laughs) to your house. I think that's like a no brainer. This though, there's a new host. It's this guy, Javier DeRusso. Dave, we talked about him a little while ago. Uh, I think in our first episode, Um, but he's another one of those BLM guys who uh, went, you know, went, went for the Prager money after watching a Prager video, but, uh, yeah, Jesus, Jesus. Anyway, let's move on to, um, James Madison. Jay cost is our host. Got nothing. All he's done is, uh, he's done a few, uh, Prager U videos, another, another well-known historian that no one's ever heard of. From the time he joined the continental Congress in 1780 through his second term as the fourth president of the United States, James Madison was in the middle of everything. When it came to the Constitution, he understood it better than any single person because nobody contributed more to its creation. When it came to selling that document to the American people, he made the most persuasive arguments. Okay, real fast. The reason why he wrote it is because he showed up before anybody else. This like the the so-called constitutional convention wasn't supposed to be a constitutional convention. They were supposed to edit the Articles of Confederation. And then they got in without the authorities to do it and decided to do it live. Like they they went in there and they basically created a document that they weren't supposed to do. Everyone's like, I don't know that we have authority. And Madison's like, shut up. I've got a deal here. And then they did it. Second of all, in that video, it shows James Madison out telling people what the Constitution is and and arguing for it, like standing in front of Mm -hmm. people. That's not what happened. He was the QAnon of the time. Him (laughs) and all of the compatriots were sending out anonymous messages in newspapers owned by wealthy people who wanted the Constitution to get passed, and they didn't have the courage to sign their names to it. It was lie and bullshit. And the fact that they try and present this like this was all on the up and up. This has been declared a coup d'etat by a bunch of people. And the Federalist Papers are just outrageous bullshit. It's so amazing. Like you just say that and I'm like, right, nothing has changed. Nothing. Nothing. When 10 amendments, the Bill of Rights, were needed to seal the deal, he wrote those too. Diminutive in stature. He was just over five feet tall. He was a giant in every other respect. Wait, wait, wait. What is up with this? <laughs> you guys, you got like these, these guys go on. I get it. You, you sold me on why they bring up the fact that some of these guys are tall, but why, why that he's demeaning? It, it, what is up with this? This is a fetish. This is a height fetish. <laughs> right? <laughs> Prager's tall, apparently. Prager's like six is three he? or four or something. I understand. I haven't. Yeah. I keep. Yeah. Um, I've been outside his house. I haven't seen him come out yet. <laughs> he lives. You know, I he cut right all that. <laughs> Why'd you cut it? He I'm lives like five that. minutes away from me. <laughs> we did an episode last week, and while we were doing it, Dave was googling, and he found out where Prager lived. And just like every five minutes, he's like, "Oh my god, he lives around the corner from me." 
Oh my God, look at this house. Oh my God. Oh, it's worth 2.4 million. Oh my God. Oh, I can go over there right now. It's, it's like, like, oh, I can hop that gate. So it's just, this is just weirdness. Okay. As a writer, theorist, and most importantly, political pragmatist, he was a deep thinker who got things done, and no one worked harder to get those things done. James Madison was born in 1751 to a prosperous family in the Virginia Piedmont. Shocking. Like his- He's padding. This is padding. He worked hard to get things done, and no one worked harder to get things done. Uh, he was short, and he was born in this place on this date. He lived in a house where he commuted to work. Three minutes to go. His mentor, neighbor, and best friend, Thomas Jefferson, he was well-educated in the classics and spoke multiple languages. His home state sent him as a delegate to the Continental Congress in 1780 at the age of 29. There, he saw firsthand how bad a national government could be. Slow, corrupt, self-interested. What the he fuck does that mean? He to do something about it. What does that mean? What Like, you just say that, but what does that mean? So he went... He went there and he's like, well, this is just, a, what does it mean? What? It's slow. So what happens as they're like, and, and, and I love that this never gets taught is that the United States government had like six or seven editions <laughs> because these yeah, brain yeah. geniuses, the touched by, by God himself, Jehovah, like they, they were so inspired that they couldn't figure out how to run a government and it kept getting ready to fall apart. And James Madison, who, by the way, it's funny where he got all of his books from. He had to sell slaves to get them. And you never hear, by the way, he was born on a shit farm and, and had to like mine for pennies, you know, like in all of these situations, like it literally was they went in and they realized there was a better way for this to work for themselves. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And thank God, by the way, that we James Madison was this uh, fest, you know, like studious asshole kept notes that we can now read and recognize why people made the Constitution the way that they did, which was to serve their own interest and basically yeah. to sit around and say, these are a bunch of idiots who shouldn't be allowed to vote and the poor are going to ruin everything. We need to make sure to run everything. And that's that's James Madison's real legacy right there. Do you, you do you cover all this in your book? Yeah, I, I unfortunately when I did it, American Rule, I had never read Madison's notes. Those oh. are wild. Oh, really? Like, oh yeah, no. That if if I was going to design like a public school curriculum, that's one of the first things anybody should read is to really? understand why this country was made the way that it was, it, and uh. and to watch the southern states hold all of this up. And for ba- people to basically say at some point, like, give the southern states all the power. We'll we'll keep slavery in there. We'll deal with it later. In in the things that they say about regular citizens, it is remarkable. Huh. Yeah. You should uh, contact Prager U, volunteer to. Yeah, I'll get right. I'll get right in there. And talk about it. <laughs> boil, boil it down to five minutes. He wasn't alone. George Washington and others pushed for a new social compact, a document that would truly bind the divergent interests of the various states. No easy feat. Their efforts paid off in May 1787 when a new constitutional convention was convened in Philadelphia. Even though he was one of the younger delegates, Madison took a lead role, not because he was so ambitious, but because he was so knowledgeable. He attended every session, gave more speeches than anyone, took meticulous notes, and drafted the plan that the delegates used as the framework for the new constitution. I love that they get- 
It's it's so they're all just stepping up. Look, I'm the smartest guy here. I better do this. I love, by the way, that they have to try and give George Washington some stolen valor. That dude sat <laughs> at that convention like the dead grandma on National Lampoons. Like, I mean, like, he, he didn't do anything. It's incredible. Like, but no, he really needed that to happen. He didn't care. And Madison, everything about this was self-serving. Like, just an absolute corrupting influence over this whole thing. Writing the document was hard enough. Selling it to the American people would prove even harder. A group known as the Anti-Federalists began flooding the newspapers with anti-Constitution essays, warning that the plan would destroy liberty rather than save it. Madison and New York lawyer Alexander Hamilton came to the Constitution's defense in a series of essays known as the Federalist Papers. The two men were a dynamic duo. Hamilton did the lion's share of the writing, but Madison's submissions arguably had the most impact. He carefully explained the system of checks and balances that would define the new government. The Federalists carried the day, just barely, and the Constitution was ratified. Oof. The Anti-Federalists, by the way, um, basically said that this is being carried out by a group of people who didn't have the authority to do it. And it's going to create a country in which the wealthy are going to control everything based on their own whims. Uh, so therefore, turns out, turns out, ding, ding, ding. But second of all, <laughs> the, like, yeah, it's it's just awesome. Again, this idea that Hamilton and uh, and Madison were putting their name on any of this. It was completely anonymous and it was being pushed by the people who are going to benefit the most from the, the founding of the country through the framing. And, and it was a total con job. It was propaganda through and through. And the checks and balances was all about making sure that democracy would never, ever actually uh, threaten any of their power. And they uh, they got what they wanted. Uh, it worked out good, though, in the end. And by end, I literally mean end. The literal end of the world in an American <laughs> That's right. Well done. So it's not actually the end of the world, but it is the end of this week's free episode of The Audit. Uh, if you'd like to hear more of this episode, we are about to get into, I think this is the first appearance of a Dinesh D'Souza video here uh but anyway we're about to get into that with jared and if you want to hear that you can go to levernews.com slash audit um and become a subscriber to the lever uh that way you'll get all of our bonus content uh as well as lever uh bonus content and their lever premium podcast feed and all kinds of other good stuff they are great and you'll be supporting some of the best independent journalism in america we'll be back next week uh, with our continued deep dive into PragerU, we're going to be looking into how Prager University deals with leftism. It's a hoot. Our guest again was the great Jared Yates Sexton. You can find him on Twitter at JY Sexton. Uh, he's a great follow and a great fellow. And remember, follow us on Twitter at, at the audit podcast and email us at the audit podcast at gmail.com. And just a special shout out that clip at the beginning of the show of my dear friend, the great Harlan Ellison comes from a wonderful documentary called dreams with sharp teeth directed by the wonderful Eric Nelson. You should check it out. It's available uh, on Amazon streaming as we speak. Uh, and I think you can still even get DVDs of it. Fantastic movie. We'll be back next week with more of the audit. Good morning, class. Good morning, Professor Gender Neutral Pronoun. 
Today we're learning all about socialism, deviant sex, and devil worship. Yay! And how cool it is. Hail Satan, but I want to learn about Jesus. Ooh. Oh, Timmy, science fiction is next week. If you finally had enough of hippie college left-wing fluff, get yourself a real degree from Prager University. Good news, class. Bill Gates is here to give everyone free vaccines. Science is a commie plot. Our professors can't be bought. All textbooks are Soros free at Prager University. My pronouns are he and him. Loser. No more guilt, no more blame. No more hetero-white male shame. No apes on your family tree at Prager University. We want to thank our incredible support team, uh, Brian Ciano, our free-floating agent of chaos, a.k.a. research guy. And also Colin McCoy, who does all of our music. You can also find him he out there in music world. He is known as Diesel Boots. <laughs>